Well, good morning, everyone. Again, it's great to be together as a church family and to worship our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Next week, Pastor Jeff will be back. He's out of town this week, and we'll be beginning a long series in the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And I think that as a church family, we're going to enjoy this journey together. I encourage you to, uh, among perhaps other Bible reading that you have, if you have some time to begin to reflect and read through this gospel, that will be a great help to you and help to us as a church family as we work through uh, that gospel together. But before we get there, we have a holiday that's coming up first called Thanksgiving. It is a day of food and family and football, not necessarily in that order. In fact, I think the NFL has three games that day, uh, so you'll be able to watch football all day long from morning to night. Just what we were looking for, right? I was reading the paper, and it says that there'll be some 51 million travelers who will be going 50 miles or more over the Thanksgiving holiday. That is a lot of people. In fact, uh, over about a 12-day period around Thanksgiving, there have been about 28.5 million airline tickets that have been sold. So a lot of people going here and there over this uh, holiday. It's really interesting. Around the world and throughout history, there have been always celebrations of harvest, right? Festivals of all kind. But in the world today, there are only just a few places, the U.S. being one, Canada being another, Liberia being a third in West Africa, and some of the Caribbean islands that have a national Thanksgiving Day. Just a few and we are among them. Um, I suppose you could look back to a proclamation that President Abraham Lincoln made on the 3rd of October, 1863. That's kind of where we draw our modern-day Thanksgiving, uh, taking a day as a nation to give thanks, really draws uh, from this event that happened... Uh, long time ago now, 1863. And uh, for you Civil War buffs will know that that date was right in the middle of the Civil War. So our country was at war. We were in internal strife. And yet, uh, you ought to go do that this holiday season. Actually, go Google or whatever search engine you use and look up the proclamation that Abraham Lincoln gave in 1863. He begins by listing a whole series of things for which we can be thankful, that they could be thankful at that time of our history despite the Civil War that was going, and not just for the harvest of the crops too, but a whole list of things that he has there. And then he goes on to say these words, and I want to read them to you as part of this proclamation. Now, you have to hang with me because this was written before TV when language perhaps was a little more complicated. So it's a little thick, but let me read it for you. Nevertheless, you can follow. He writes this as part of the proclamation. 
No human counsel hath devised nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. Now he's talking about all these blessings that he had just listed in the proclamation. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, and there he's referencing the whole dimension of the Civil War and slavery and all that, has nevertheless nevertheless, remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gracefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. He then goes on in his proclamation to call us as a nation to, quote, to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Uh, we call it Thanksgiving Day, but according to the proclamation here by Abe Lincoln, we should probably call it the Thanksgiving and Praise Day because that's really what it is. This call for us as a people to turn our eyes heavenward and to give thanks to our Father who dwelleth in heavens. Now, this kind of call to thanksgiving and praise goes back far further than Abraham Lincoln. In fact, it goes all the way back to this passage of Scripture that Tyler read for us this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 105. And in our time this morning, we want to look at this psalm and draw a couple of things from it. But before we do that, before we look at the psalm, let's just pause again, right? God's in our midst. And uh, let's recognize that together. Father in heaven, again this morning, as a people, we come and bow before you. And as we have done so in song this morning, so we want to do as we reflect together on this particular psalm. And to hear the things that you want to say to us. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We need you. We need you to come and speak to us, to take your word and to work it deep within our soul. For Jesus, we ask this in your great name. Amen. Psalm 105 begins, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Here, the psalmist, there's no title for the psalm, but the psalmist writes this uh, over a series of, what is it, 45 verses, an expression of thanks to the Lord. And it begins with a call for God's people to give thanks to him and to remember how he has acted on their behalf. It looks back at the history of God and his people together and all the things that have been transpired between them, or particularly the things that the psalmist wants to highlight in Psalm 105. You could say, really, that it is a poetic summary of the message of the Pentateuch itself. If you were to go back to the first five books of Scripture, the books of Moses, that Psalm 105, and actually the next psalm to follow, Psalm 106, draw upon the theme and the message uh, in a poetic expression of the Pentateuch itself. 
And you and I as the reader today, as we read it and engage it, are also called us, a call to us to do a couple of things. And two things stand out in the psalm. One, we are called to remember and we are called to make known. We are called to remember the wondrous works that he has done and to take that and then to make it known among the peoples, all the peoples. You could say all the nations of the world, beginning with us and then expanding out from there. It's a call not only to reflect with gratitude on God's acts toward us, but also then to go and tell, right? To go and tell others about what the Lord has done for us. Now, in life, it's easy for you and me, if we will acknowledge it, that it's easier, easier for us to focus on the things that are not going well than the things that are going well, isn't it? If we're honest, right? And you can look at the world today. Um, we're a mess in all kinds of ways. Uh, politically, uh, all kinds of ways across the, our nation, uh, there is strife and turmoil, term, turmoil, even in NFL, right? You can't even watch the NFL anymore without strife and challenge and difficulty. Whatever you think about that, it, it does invade our daily normal life. Go beyond our borders to the world itself. A world is still a challenging place with terrorism and wars and challenges and difficulties. It is easy, is it not, to focus on the things that are not going well, even personally, like when we drop down to us. Now, there is a few eternal optimists sprinkled among us, but I tell you, it's easy to focus on the things that are a challenge to us. Uh, Just this this last week, uh, there was an event here at church. It was when we got grandparents and grandkids of our larger church family all mixed together for a game night. And for those of you that were there, we had a great time. Wasn't that fun? There's about 75 of us, and we were all scattered around in round tables and just had a blast that evening together. Well, as part of that evening, I was uh, standing next to Darren Hurt, one of our elders, and he asked me how I was doing. I had just had a uh, six-month uh, checkup from the doctor. Um, uh, started off every three months, and then every six months from a cancer diagnosis I had back in 2015, and praise the Lord, uh, my checkup went fine. Everything is good. Yep. But he was asking me about how things were going, and I was sharing a little bit of that, that things were going well. And then he said something like, so everything's back to normal. And the reality is there is no normal anymore. Uh, Those of you who have gone through similar kinds of experiences, oftentimes that brings a new normal. And for me, there is a new normal. Now, it's all manageable and good, but uh, I'll have a new normal as long as life gives me breath. And every now and then, I get some challenging days that my system just doesn't want to work properly, and I just have to deal with it. And Darren said something to me like, does that ever irritate you? And I said, uh, well, the Lord and I do have conversations every now and then. (laughs) 
It's easy to focus on the things that are uh, hard and challenging, isn't it? But you know, in my own life, when I stop and reflect on just how good the Lord has been to me, even in the midst of hard things, the things that the Lord, in my own experience, journey through cancer, how the Lord taught me things about himself and about me, I wouldn't trade that for the world. And uh, the Lord, when we remember the works that he has done for us, oh, it changes everything. And here the psalmist calls the people of God and us as the reader also to remember, to remember. And as he begins to do that throughout the psalms, he remembers all, not just in generalities, but in specific ways that God has been for his people, particularly as we reflect back on their history as reflected in the books of Moses, the first five books of Scripture. And he does so uh, by beginning to turn to the covenants that God has made with his people. Uh, Look in Psalm 105. Let me read just a couple of verses. After this kind of introductory section where he calls us to remember and to make known, verse 7 he picks up with these words. He writes, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he has made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statue, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. Now, if you've ever gone and read through the books of Moses, right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Most of those chapters, most of those books are about what? Well, it deals with uh, bringing the people out of captivity in the land. But if you've read through those portions of Scripture, you run into chapter and the chapter and chapter of what? Of laws, right? Reflections of what was given in the covenant that God made with his people on Mount Sinai. But as the psalmist stops to reflect on God's wondrous ways, he doesn't land on the covenant that God makes at Sinai, but he lands on an earlier covenant, I would say an even more foundational covenant, which is the covenant that God made with Abraham. Well, what was that covenant? Well, keep a finger here in Psalm 105 and flip back with me to Genesis chapter 12. The early chapters of Genesis deal with how God interacts with the man Abraham and his family, and he reiterates the covenant several times, but this first interaction with Abraham is just foundational for everything. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, you follow along as I read. Scripture says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth 
shall be blessed. This is an incredible word that God comes and expresses to this one man. And in fact, he makes a covenant. And the covenant is just simply this. Abraham, I am coming and my heart's desire is to bless you. And I want to make your name great. And those who curse you, those who dishonor you, I will curse. And those who bless you, I will bless. And through you, Abraham... Through you, I am going to bless all the peoples, all the nations. Everyone, everywhere is going to be blessed through you. Now, how would you like that deal? Well, here's the truth is we are part of that deal, right? That God had came this covenant that he made with Abraham. And all he asked from Abraham is to come follow me, right? To believe in me, to trust in me. To place your confidence in me. To go where I tell you to go. But my heart, Abraham, my heart is to come and to bless you so that you in turn can be the source of blessing to the whole world. That through you my blessing can flow to everyone. Now when God comes to make this, for lack of a better term, deal with Abraham... He doesn't do it on the basis of a contract. He does it on the basis of a covenant. Now, we as a people, as a nation, we are a capitalistic nation. That is our system. We live by contracts. Every one of us do. But what God comes and makes with Abraham, what the psalmist remembers, the first thing that comes to mind is not a contract that God makes with Abraham, but a covenant. So what's the difference? What's the difference between a contract and a covenant? Well, uh, I could narrow it down in the most simplest terms to say it this way. A contract is all about what I get. And a covenant is all about what I give. Think about it for a moment. Let's say uh, you're going to enter into a contract, a rent agreement to either rent an apartment or uh, rent a house, right? You're not walking around Newton saying, who can I give, I don't know, 500 or 1,000 bucks a month to? I've got all this extra cash in my pocket. Who can I give this to, right? What are you looking for? I need a place to stay. I need to get something from someone. And so you find someone who has a house or an apartment, and so you sign a what? A rental agreement that's got all kinds of stipulations. And what you're after is what you get, not what you give. Same thing on the other side, by the way, right? The person who's got an apartment or a house to rent, he's not walking around Newton saying, who can I give my house so that someone can live there? What is he after or what is she after? They're after 500 or 1,000 bucks a month or whatever they can get for it, right? And if they get that from you, then in return, what do they give you a place to live? But if all of a sudden you stop giving the 500 or 1,000 or whatever it is, the you know, rental contract per month, what are they going to want you to do? Get out, right? So I can find someone else who will give me. A contract is all about what I get, 
Now, even if it's a good or a service that you enjoy doing, right? You take great joy in providing a service. Or you create, take great delight in having an item that you manufacture, put together, that you turn and sell. But you're not out there to give it away for free, right? Well, you may, but you're not going to last very long if that's your source of income. You're really looking for what you get. But that's not, a, that's not a covenant. A covenant is all about what you give. That's why we talk about marriage not as a contract, but as a pledge, as a promise, marriage as a covenant. Right? Think about the uh, traditional marriage vows. Right? Those of you who have been married, maybe you remember some words like this. I take thee, whoever, right, to be my wedded husband or wife. And what are the words that come next? To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. What are those words all about? Those words are not about what I get. Those are words about what I give. And it doesn't matter whether you're in sickness or in health. It doesn't matter whether it's richer or poorer. It doesn't matter whether it's in good days or bad days. This is a pledge. This is a promise. This is a covenant with you. I want to enter into a covenant with you so that I can give. Not so that I can get. You know, that's exactly what God does with us. God showed up to Abraham, right? And he's not looking for what he can get from Abraham. But what is he doing? Abraham, my son, my heart is to bless you. I want to make your name great. And I want to be with you. And I want to walk with you. And I want to shepherd you. And through you, Abraham, as I pour blessing upon you, my heart is that that, that blessing then would extend to everyone everywhere. It's like Psalm 67 where the psalmist cries out, oh Lord, may you bless me. May you bless me. Why? He goes on to say, so that your name will be made known. That is God's heart for us. Jesus, he makes a new covenant with us, right? That's what we call communion. Part of it anyway, this picture of Jesus making a new covenant with us. And what's the heart of that covenant? Right? It's found in verses like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. See, a covenant heart is all about giving. And the psalmist, as he calls for us as the reader to turn to the Lord and to give him great thanks, oh, give thanks to the Lord. He calls us to remember what the Lord has done, that the Lord has come to relate to us, to interact with us, not on the basis of a contract, but on the basis of a covenant where his heart longs to pour out his love and goodness and grace and blessing upon us as his people and then through us to everyone who crosses our path, both here 
and near and far together. And here in the psalm then, as he begins by reflecting on this covenant, then he begins to rehearse in all these verses what the Lord has done. That how he cared for them. That even when a famine came, verse 17, that he sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was a slave, that he was sent into slavery, and yet how God used that to rescue his family. And there in the land of Egypt, verse uh, 24, how the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than in foes. And then he goes on to describe how then he sends them Moses, his servant, and how God then performed miracles among the people and rescued them out of the land of slavery. And he lists all these uh, ways in which the Lord through this miraculous intervention freed his people. And then how he led them and guided them through the wilderness and how he opened up rock and water gushed out to supply their needs and how he brought them quail for them to feed on and how he rained down manna from heaven. And the psalm runs through all these powerful and beautiful ways that the Lord cared for, the Lord shepherded, the Lord blessed his people. And the psalmist cries out to us as the reader to remember, to remember to remember the wondrous works that he has done. So how about you? Remember. Do you remember all the ways that the Lord has been faithful to you throughout your years? Whether you've known him a long time or whether you've known him a short time. Think of all the ways that the Lord has blessed you and cared for you and intervened in your life and was alongside you even through difficult situations. The psalmist says to remember, to remember. And not only you individually, but how about you as a family, how the Lord has cared for you as a family. Good times and hard times. The Lord has been present. How about, how about even us as a church family? Here at Community Heights Alliance Church, we have a history too. And how the Lord for us as a family has been with us and has cared for us and has been active in our midst. The psalmist says, make known that to remember, remember the wondrous works he has done. And then he also calls us also to make known his deeds among the peoples. You you know, when someone does something for you, the appropriate word is to say what? Thank you. Exactly. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. So we had maybe a couple of weeks ago... Uh, our fall kind of festival here. We had the kids come on a Wednesday night and we had all kinds of games set up here in this room and stations all around here. We had places where people gave out candy and so kids and their parents could come through and, uh, you know, receive a little Halloween candy, so to speak. And I was at one of the tables and, uh, you know, we had bigger kids and little kids all come through and there's always those little kids who come through who are very shy, Right. And so, you know, you put a few things in their bag and their eyes are turned down. And invariably, what does mom or dad say? What do you say, honey? What do you say, dear? Say thank you. And then they would mumble, you know, thank you. It's always real cute. And you would respond back in kind and maybe put another piece of candy in their bag. But we are 
taught from our youngest age that the proper response to someone giving is to return in kind and say thank you. And it is right and appropriate to have public expressions to voice verbally gratitude. Gratitude must be made public. Otherwise, it doesn't work. You can be thankful in your heart, but if you keep it to yourself, right? You do something for someone and they don't acknowledge anything, they just turn away and you think, boy, that was an ungrateful person. Expressions of gratitude must be made public. And so the psalmist also in these verses calls for us to not only recognize what God has done, but to turn and publicly say, how great is the Lord to make known his wonderful deeds among the peoples. You know, many of us, I think, when it comes to things like evangelism, we get weak in the knee. There's a few of us here who very freely and easily talk with anyone and everyone and integrate, you know, an invitation to come follow Jesus. But I think for most of us, myself included, I'm not a natural evangelist. Now, at uh, my age and the years that I've walked with Jesus, I do talk about him out in the public. But naturally, spontaneously, it's not something I do easily on my own. And I think most of us fit into that needs. But it is always appropriate and always right to publicly express to those that are around us how wonderful and how blessed we are by God and how God has been at work in our lives. To say publicly to others that are around us, well, the Lord has just been so good to me and list them off specific ways. The Lord has been through us in a hard time this last year. How good the Lord has been. The Lord has provided for me a job. Who am I that I would deserve this job? And yet the Lord has has orchestrated so that I have a place to work. Isn't the Lord good? And to simply talk publicly, I mean, no one can argue about that, with you about that. To express to others his deeds, how he has been faithful to us, and to share all the ways that God has been good. You know, Thanksgiving is a time not just to uh, be about a meal, It's not just a time to be about family. It's certainly not just a time to be about football, although all those traditions are good and right and healthy. My wife talks about times when she was a kid and her family, there were, uh, she's got uh, three siblings, four kids, and dad would always go out every Thanksgiving when they were little and they would play football in the backyard. And even to this day, Mary will smile as she remembers those encounters together. And as we head into Thanksgiving, that as a people, we ought to enjoy all those kinds of traditions, food and family and football and whatever else we do. But as part of this time, church family, let me encourage us all to include in our day of Thanksgiving what the psalmist here in 105 calls us to do. To take time to remember and then to express it publicly what the Lord has done. Certainly in families. 
to take time to express, to say, hasn't the Lord been good this past year? Or let me recall, I, I remember when um, my kids were little and we would drive in the car and I would take them to school. Uh, there was a, a period where every day uh, my uh, kids, David and Hannah, would say to me, Daddy, tell us a story. Tell us a story when you were a kid. And I'd tell, you know, the same stories over and over again, but they loved to hear these stories when I was a kid. And as a family, for us together, not just talk about the funny stories, but also to share how God has been faithful and good to us in days and days past. And then to share them publicly together. So this morning, I want us to take time to do that together as a church body. What I want you to invite you to do as Bo comes up and uh, plays some music for us is just to take some time here in your seat to reflect and to remember what God has done for you. How the Lord has shepherded you. How the Lord has cared for you. How the Lord has worked good in your life, even in the midst of hard things. And then after you spend a few moments thinking together, I want you to share it publicly. How? When you're ready, don't all have to do it at once, but when you're ready to simply to get up. And on each side of the building this morning, we have some paper that's uh, pasted on the wall. And at each station, there is some uh, markers that you can write, that you can express publicly ways that the Lord has been for you and for you and your family and even for us as a church body. Don't write just a word, but write a sentence or two and then sign your first name so that we together as a church family can give thanks to the Lord It's right and fitting that we should do so to remember and to make it known for he is good. So do that now, will you? Take a few moments just to sit and think and remember. And then when you're ready, go write it on the wall.